Hello, and welcome to the Let's Talk podcasts. This is your host, Susie Lewis, speaking from Toulouse. And in this episode of Let's Talk, we will be discussing different ways of thinking about transformation and how to tell a more holistic story. Today, I am delighted to welcome Mike Straw, founder of Achieve Breakthrough Consultancy. Mike, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Really looking forward to it, Susie. Yeah, me too. Mike, you've been part of an organization and you now spend your time and energy helping organizations to understand the more holistic side of transformation and the different leadership and cultural change efforts that that means at all levels. Uh, Before the show, we were chatting and you shared your own breakthrough story with me about what inspired you to found your business and to work in this field, which I'm sure you'll touch on as we chat and also share with our listeners. But clearly, we share this challenge to take a more systemic view of transformation and delve into what it means for what I like to call the human systems of an organization and really try and help leaders and teams to understand why they do what they do and more importantly, how they could do it differently. So can you tell me more about breakthrough thinking and what it means for you? Yeah, sure. It's it, I'll, I'll, Let me go right back to the beginning about how this all, all happened as well. Yeah. So I graduated from university and went into, went into business school. As I came out, I went and got a, um, I saw an advert for a recent graduate to put in a raw material control system mm-hmm. into a uh, factory in Hackney. Okay. Uh, truth of matter, what I really saw was um, a certain salary in a Rover car, which was, uh, <laughs> I, was uh, I was a keen sailor. Um, I, well, I still am, but I was a very keen sailor at that time. Mm-hmm. And I needed something to um, to take me around the country in my different competitions. <laughs> but the, the interesting thing is the raw material control system, you know, you study business studies, but you have no idea what that is. But what it was, was an early doors sort of ERP, SAP system. Mm-hmm. But what it allowed me to realize, to understand, was the system of how an organization operates. Mm. And that was phenomenal. And we made quality street tins in this in this factory, about 300 people down in um, quality street tins, for those who don't know, were like a chocolate <laughs> or biscuit tin type things. Um, so nothing very particularly sexy. But, but a cultural reference in UK, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, exactly, in the UK. But what it did, it, it gave you a end-to-end business perspective, which blew my mind about how mm. businesses operate. Mm. And then after about uh, a year of doing this, they went and they got um, ISO accreditation, which I helped with. And then um, I became the production director, went off sick. And because I understood all the systems, I took over from him. And so sort of in my early 20s, I ended up running this factory of 300 people because he never came back. And then after a year or so, they put me, they made me permanent. And I got introduced to this uh, program called uh, Breakthrough Thinking by a company called um, Breakthrough Technologies, a technology of thinking. And it blew my mind. And this is mm-hmm. about, uh, and it blew my mind that people act on stories, assessments and assumptions based on the past and live those stories into the future. Another way of saying that is the future is constrained by all of your past experiences. I had no idea this kind of, so I think this opened up a whole vista of, I'd never thought about thinking before right. and the human system within an organization. And it just yeah. set a fire in with me. Mm. And I went back to work and I, I they had this machine called a cling hammer, which basically takes the, the base of a tin and could seam it onto the body, send it up a chute and we could... Yeah, redirect probably 20% of our resources into different areas. And I just got hit by this wall of why that wasn't, why that wouldn't work. Mm. And why um, we bought the machine sort of 10 years before and it, we'd never got it working and yada, 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 and all mm. of these stories. And I thought, oh my goodness, this is, this is, 
what I've just learned on this course in action. But I didn't really know what to do with it, except for it was like torturing me because I was seeing all of this, this past being lived into the future. So I then phoned up this company, Breakthrough Technologies, which are based in Oxford, mm. and said that, um, one, I thought it was irresponsible putting me through a two-day workshop because <laughs> I was now torturing myself and I'd like to work for them. And they were a little taken aback, but then said, yes, we would. How brilliant. And then I worked with them from for about sort of seven or eight years, working with lots of different clients. Mm. And then I decided to set up Achieve Breakthrough in 2003, really committed to how do you actually have breakthroughs happen in organizations? How do you shift fundamentally the way that people think and provide new ways of thinking? That's really what we've been doing. And it's and the difference was I, the last company was fantastic, but they, they were turning into a seminar business. And my, my view was it didn't stick. Mm. So I wanted to create a consultancy that actually does more systemic change that gets into the DNA of an organization yeah. and shift the way that they think. And then the changes and the transformation efforts that everyone's going through have a mm. good good chance of actually succeeding and delivering on their promise. And I think there's a lot of a lot that don't. So that's how I kind of got into this um into this work really. I think it's so important what you're saying around the shift in in the way we think. And uh, we recently had Aidan McCullen on the show with his new book, Undisruptable, which is essentially around a mindset of permanent reinvention. And he talks about mental models. And I think that's one of the most important things is people understanding their mental models and moving beyond that, so to speak. But how is it? So I have two questions for you here. What was your biggest, what I call light bulb moment from that? And how has it shaped the way you see leadership? Yeah, I think that the biggest light bulb moment was that how the context, the frame of reference we think from is decisive. Mm. So you can have the best systems and and, um, processes in the world, but your way of thinking determines the success of anything, determines what you think is possible, what you think is not possible, what what you believe we can do and what you can't do. And the light bulb moment was that the next impossible thing will get created. It's just a question of whether it will be you or your competition. Yeah. And the, the, the missing piece, the, the decisive element here is the, this human environment that governs the success that, of what we do. And that human environment is actually created through our mindsets. And that was the big light bulb that our, our thinking actually creates reality. And, and there's such a the status quo or the status quo of our thinking is a, is a, is a super magnet that can just limit what's possible in organizations. And, and that was the biggest thing. I had no idea this really existed. When I got that the context is decisive, then you start to listen for the context, listen to what people's conversations are, listen to what the chatter is. And Mm. you suddenly start to realize that that's people's reality and people's actions are based on that reality. And I just had never had it so crystallized for myself. And I think that's really important. Not only what you're saying around thinking creates reality, therefore you need to come from the future state, not necessarily from the past, but also listening. Because I think over and above the busyness of people listening to reply and not necessarily to understand. I do think there's a big role in organizations for listening to the system and understanding what's going on there and what the future state may look like. I mean, so this light bulb moment, which is incredibly true and even more so after the pandemic, when we're seeing, you know, a real spike in what's my purpose, where do I go? What does the future look like? What what does this mean for you for the organizational system, therefore? And how do you see organizations navigating it today? It's a great question. I think there's a couple of things I've seen is that the, the pandemic and what we've been uh, experiencing over the last sort of 14 months is mm. we've invited 
people into our homes in a way that we've never done before. So suddenly you're seeing someone with their pets walking across their computer or their yeah. children bursting in or yeah. or you you get a window into people's lives and I think there's a lot of empathy and a lot of laughter and people it metaphorically says to me that that this whole pandemic and the way that we've been interacting has allowed people to take their masks off yes. and show much more of their human side uh, and also spoken much more fears and doubts and people allow and it's as if you know we've had a common situation that that, that unites us in the way that we speak and that's that's been amazing I then juxtapose that with organizations' relentless crews at the moment to, you know, if I was working in an organization, I was either at the senior or the middle levels, or, you know, we're being asked to be more innovative, more creative, take risks, be agile, do things faster, be happy because we'll survey you, you know, have a, (laughs) be empowered and um, all of that thing. And I think what that's created is in people's minds, like why, you know, we've just Mm. had something like a pandemic that's rocked us. We've now got this, uh, we're being asked by our organisations for the most part to really reimagine and rethink it and unboss it, depending on what organisation you work in or or liberate it. Mm. And I think it's asking people like, why? What is all this about? So I think Mm. the role of purpose and having people ask that question, which I think is a great question, why am I doing this and what do I want to do, is Mm. critical. And I think organisations and leaders need to in a way, make explicit people's purposes or support them in that, and then also connect it. I remember working with um, a few years ago with, it was actually with Coke, and they created a new um, new strategy. This is the bottling part of the, of the mm. business. They created a new strategy, 25,000 employees. They'd merged the, all of the European business. They had a vision. They had a strategy. But people felt in the organization, like, why are we doing all of this? I know we're chasing market share and we're chasing getting our cost of goods down and renovating in the different brands. But why? What is this all for? Mm. And it caused a pushback into the major part of the organization to say, look, what is our purpose? And they invented this um, phenomenal purpose that they, they've got all over their stuff now, which is called This Is Forward, which mm. is really around commitments to the planet, commitments to younger people, commitments to what they want to do about plastic, commitments to recycling, really, really, really phenomenal. And that then tapped into a rich vein within Mm. the organization so I think the pandemic has made us much more humanistic and much more of that coming in and I think this this question of purpose and what is our purpose is something that won't go away and I I I hope it never does because it's it wouldn't it be great if the corporate world now and have a space that's big enough that people could people's full self can play at work and I think that organizations of the organizations that can crack that that can create a place where people's life game can play out you know will be the winners in the long run I think yeah I mean I agree and I think that's a superb story and I do think that organizations are becoming more humanistic and lockdown life has leveled the playing field so to speak but I I do worry when I come back to your things like please be more innovative please liberate your organization please do this please do that I'm worried that organizations may not take on board the lessons that the pandemic has brought them although I don't think the employee base will let them forget and if I come back to your story about coke and how they got to a powerful purpose how do you think organizations can start anticipating because it is about anticipating and building capacity for the future how can they anticipate the fact that the status quo might come and grab them because there's a lot around, you know, I work a lot with organizations on Agile and it's like, oh yeah, we're doing Agile, but being Agile is something very different. And I think 
lockdown and COVID has created a fertile ground for that to happen, but it's easier to step back into what was. Yeah, you're, you're absolutely right, Susan. I can see people doing that at the moment. Mm. You can see them stepping back into, looking for normal to re- re- return or whatever that means. Yeah, they're almost relieved, aren't so, they? <laughs> so, um, yeah, it is, and it's frightening. And I, I think there's a, I think the world's complexity and the speed that things are happening now is yeah. causing, we can't go back. And that, I think that's what COVID has done and all mm. of this situation has given a, a moment of, of, of showing that completely. Mm. Um, it's a fabulous opportunity, I, isn't it? I mean... Massive, massive yeah. opportunity, but but mm. it's kind of like we can't let the memory fade, um, <laughs> and we've got to we've got to capitalize on those things. But I think your word around, I think that there is something about our preparedness at the moment that we need yeah. to get prepared because we can't predict the future and we can't forecast in the same way. It means that we need to have be very very present, but present to the organizational system, the human system, the market system, yeah, and present so we can really see see the trends that are emerging, see the what's becoming possible, what what's happening in technology, what's happening in those different advances. And the more we can be present, the hopefully the, the faster we can then be prepared and respond. Because if we can respond inside the cycle times of our, our uh, the people that we're competing against, then that, you know, if you're in that mode, that may well help us. But what I think is required for leaders in this is the ability to unlearn. And I, w- I was reading um, a, uh, there was an interview with Gary Kasparov, the uh, sort of grand chess master. And it was an interview mm-hmm. of um, on which was the, out of his seven grand masterships, which was the hardest. And he said, look, it wasn't the first because no one knew me. And it wasn't the second because everyone thought I just got lucky on the, on the first. Mm-hmm. But it was, um, it was the third because everyone knew my strategy. They knew my opening moves. They know what I would do in different sequences. So I had to get the muscles to unlearn everything that made me successful. Once I got the muscles to unlearn, the fourth, the fifth, the sixth and the seventh weren't so hard. He had a couple of slogans that he said about, which was um, escaping the gravity of success. And 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 then the next point he made was organizations that are successful. So you've got to escape that gravity of success. And he said, it's a fine line between our experience and our baggage. The experience being the uh, factual experience that we've had and the mm. baggage being all of the interpretation that we add to it and that's you're know, going back to your point on listening earlier mm-hmm. you know that ability to listen outside of the system listen to uh, being present to listen to the assumptions and not get caught by them and have them not be the baggage I think mm. is one of the main muscles that we need to de- develop really in the organization so we can continually unlearn and because as soon as we decide something and we then make it dogma you then got to unlearn the dogma again. And that's a real muscle that we can either fight with or just embrace our humanness and, um, and, and play with in a way. And, and I think it's also about normalising things like that, isn't it? Because learning, unlearning and relearning is everybody's challenge. Let's put it that way today, inside and outside the workplace, if I look at how fast things are moving. But I think particularly in the workplace, it's also about allowing yourself to say within that culture or within that system, I don't know or yeah. I don't have all the answers, or yeah, I'm going to try it and see. And we're back to the discussion around failure um, and yeah. sort of failing fast in inverted commas, but also quieting the ego enough to actually step back and and accept that maybe people in, in your system know more than you and that that's a good thing. How do, how do yeah. you see organisations, I was going to say managing, but it's not managing, navigating that subject? Yeah, I mean, it's it's interesting, isn't it? Because we're working with a lot of um, uh, either engineering organisations or um, a lot in the life sciences, so mm. big scientific organisations. And they're, 
you know, you get to be one of the scientists by your expertise and what you know. Yep, so suddenly to say, look, you've got to, uh, you've got to unlearn everything and you've got to um, uh, fail fast and um, <laughs> don't worry about your ego. That's like very, very difficult, especially when you care deeply. So mm. I think it's, there is a new leadership model that's emerging and McKinsey talk about it a lot, which is this moving from sort of planners, directors, controllers and strategizers to a model of um, sort of uh, visionaries, architects, coaches and catalysts. And the visionary is this, this person who can generate a vision that isn't restricted, is, is bold, that will force us to re-examine our approach to everything. So I think that's an important ingredient of that vision. I think the architect is a very, is a less known quality but the architect is one that will look at the the, the organization and this is right in your sweet spot Susie will that will look at the organization from a assumptions point of view from a mindset yeah. point of view from yeah. a policies and processes that, mm. that that lock in the old way of thinking so I think the organization you need architects who are quite happy to evolve the system that the organization operates within mm. and challenge those preconceived views mm. and then this 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 coach is that is coaching has been around for years so but it's that ability to unlock the potential of people but truly do that yes and then the cat and to catalyze change and i think that's a very useful model that you you're moving from and i think it captures the move from this sort of control order predict yeah. to this acknowledge create empower world and and interestingly you can't quieten the ego and and be happy to fail fast planning directing controlling no. paradigm you have to switch no. paradigms because otherwise coaching in a planning, controlling and predicting paradigm is just a, a, a technique. And agile is just a technique in those paradigms. A world of acknowledge, creating power and all of that, then coaching and, and uh, agile is a major lever in those kind of paradigms because those paradigms are all about learning and growth. Mm, it is, which because behind learning and growth for me, particularly in coaching, is it democratizes the coaching skills or the basic skill set of coaching into an organization, because I often feel that coaching is too exclusive in the way it's done in organizations. It's only for certain levels of the organization. And I think too, you're right, I love the architect discussion, but I think for its work, you need coaches and, and catalysts. And for people to coach operationally the organization, I think we need to democratize the basic skills of coaching so that they can hold those spaces and, and have those conversations and take the people with them. So I mean, it's it's interesting to see the shift that is already happening, whether we like it or not, in terms of, you know, society and the interconnectedness and what that brings in terms of needs in human systems. But you're right. If you have the vision and the architect, you can't do it without the coaching and the catalyst. But but I think catalyzing change is quite a collective sort of altruistic activity as opposed to um, I'll show what I'm capable of and I'll show what my team's capable of. So I think that's really interesting for organizations and leaders to start thinking about how that could look like in their organization, because one size doesn't fit all, does it, in any organization? Um, it's interesting to look at how they're thinking about the model that works for them. Do you do you have people coming to you with those questions around what model would work for them? Yeah, yeah, and it, yes, we do. And it's 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 also like it's not a one size fits all, as, <laughs> really? as you know. But there's a a lot of companies come to us, and we 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 I've just worked with one at the moment actually, which is saying big global organisation who are really want empowerment. They really want the empowerment to happen in the organisation, and that's what they're really and they can't understand why it doesn't happen. So if I if I give you, we we did um, some work with them, and they were looking at their uh, you know if one of the questions in the pre work was about sort of this big conference with them. 
um, that was virtual and was, uh, if you could describe your organization as, as two animals, what would you describe? It was fascinating because it was, um, it was really just to get them warmed up, but it spoke volumes. So they said, you know, at one level, uh, the first animal that came out very strongly was an eagle or a hawk or an owl. But, mm-hmm. but, and what that really represented was this, this excellent vision and long-term perspective and that we're cl- clever, we're wise, we're intelligent, we strategic, we see sharply the opportunities in front of us. Mm. Then they would describe themselves as um, another animal, which was like an elephant, a rhino, a hippo, a dinosaur, a horse. And what they meant by that wasn't just stuck in their old ways. They actually meant we work hard, we're powerful, we're strong, we're slow and steady, Mm. we're resilient. We've been here for a long time, but we aren't very nimble and uh, we're not very nimble. And we we do battle with actually moving quickly. Mm. Then they described and that was the majority of it. Then they described themselves also as this sort of monkey squirrel. (laughs) <laughs> which are that run around and they're chasing and juggling interests, being agile, being responsive, doing experiments here, doing pilots here, jumping from one aspect to the other. We're curious, but you've got this, these monkey arms, if you imagine it, so that through mm. this elephant's body that, that is trying to get things to fuck, but it goes through this body of, of the organization. Mm. And then ultimately this organization is also very, very loyal. So it was a, like the heart of a lion, you know, mm. massive pride in what they do. But what, what that picture did is it told you, if you imagine a jigsaw, yeah. this organization is a mixture of this eagle view, this elephant body that doesn't move very quickly or isn't as agile <laughs> as it needs to be, but, but it is strong. And these, these different experiments happening everywhere but with this company that's very, very strong with the heart of a lion. What it conjured in my mind is that, one, it really captured for people that they could relate to, God, this is what it's like here. Yeah. Um, which which actually took away the um, uh, because the storytelling around what animal you are is is contextual. It describes in a non threatening way what the organisation is like or could be like in the future. Yeah. But what what it really did is it allowed people to go, okay, that is exactly what it is. So what? How do we liberate ourselves? It's the question that when people come to you and say, how do we become more empowered? Yeah. It's in a way the wrong question mm. is that they're coming from how can we be more empowered. Versus actually, I think people are empowered. It's just for some reason, the organization, not deliberately, takes that power away. So I think the question is, how do we remind people of the power that they have and create the conditions for them to exercise it? And I think that's the place we want to pivot. And I think nearly everyone that's coming to us is asking for, how do we unleash the power of people? How do we unlock it? Hmm. And it's such a, a, a deep question because you're talking about the human system, the organizational system, the paradigm that they all think from. Mm. And I actually don't see how, unless you take that on, how you will actually survive into the, um, uh, into the longer term. And I think that's been around for a while. There was a lovely quote by, um, I think it was Jack Welsh, but years ago, he said, we've long, this is back in two, 2000, this is Jack Welsh in, in, uh, when he was running GE, he said, We've long believed that the rate of change inside an institution becomes slower than the rate of change outside. When it becomes slower than the rate of change outside, the end is in sight. The only question is when. Mm. And I think that's a real reality for a lot of organisations at the moment. Hence this move to empowerment and agility and and, uh, all of that side. The, Mm. The one worry that I have is... You and I and everybody else in the organization has a lot of baggage about what those words mean. So someone says, hey, we're going to be uh, we're moving to agility and empowerment. And you can see and see and feel the eye roll um, that that happens. So I think we've all got got a hell of a job to to get through the eye roll because it's not that it's the wrong thing to do. 
no. it's just people's preconceived view is like, oh my God, here we go again. And and I mm. think leaders need to really be able to handle that. Yeah. And I think it's, I mean, I work a lot on inclusion as well. So all these type of buzzword subjects where people have their own definitions and they're, they're bored of hearing the same word in different contexts. I think that's just underlines the power of what you were saying of storytelling and of visualizing it differently and putting it in a way that people can actually identify with an animal or something different to actually understand where they are in their system and what their system looks like. And I completely agree with you. It's not about um, empowerment. It's about, you know, reminding people of the power that they have, just like systems voices is about reminding people that there are other voices in the system than just the most dominant one. And the idea of the jigsaw, of course, being a systems thinker, I love that one. But but I do think there's a lot to be said for, you know, the collective vision, dream big, but start small. You know, and I do think yeah. organizations do. I'm a big believer in sort of modular structures and labs, learning labs, because I think, you know, we're all in cognitive overload. Technological change is happening exponentially human change isn't and inside the organization even less so so you know I do think there's a there's a discussion around what we mean by agile or empowerment or whatever word we're talking about yeah and then then how we get there so I mean we could talk for another few hours but I am (laughs) conscious of time so if we if I take that as a landscape the jigsaw landscape what would be your last recommendation or call to action for leaders and indeed organizations looking to break through their cultural barriers and start opening their organization to a different way of working? That's a big question. I know who could do two podcasts <laughs> um, on that. <laughs> I know, I know, I know. I think there's there's a couple couple of um, points I would probably make. Uh, the first one is to see the organization as a reflection of you. And what I mean by that is that as soon as the organization you think is not, not to do with you, at one level, you then become at the effect of it rather than responsible for it. So I think there is a, a call to action that the that the organization is you're, in a, you're 100% responsible for it, which means, you know, it's like saying, do our assumptions own us or do we own the assumption? So I think there's a big thing, firstly, to take full responsibility. Yeah. I think the second bit for me is, is to dream big, you know, create the vision or the purpose that would be a real breakthrough. Don't constrain yourself, you know, mm. really go for it. And it's interesting because, you know, breakthroughs are reasonable only in hindsight. You know, when, when a breakthrough is only reasonable in hindsight, before the breakthrough happens, it's just a crazy idea. So yeah. give yourself permission to have a, have a big crazy idea of what you could do. And then just stand in that idea uh, and stand in that idea and imagine we've achieved it. What do we do? Not like work towards it, but imagine you've actually achieved that. What do we do? What do we do today? Because to your point, I think getting into action quickly and experimenting in pilots is, is important. And I have a lovely phrase that I would constantly ask yourself. So stand that place. Imagine you've done it. What did we do? Uh, and just challenge those sets of assumptions. And then for me, the, it, it is about take bold action. You know, just, just have future focused conversations. So if someone says for you, yeah, but that won't work, then ask them, OK, so if it was going to work, what would we have to do? Yeah, but we've done that before. OK, so given we've done that before, what did we learn and how would we um, how would we make it successful next time? Very hard for people to pull you back when you stand from that place. So I would, you know, see the organisation as yours, create a bold vision or purpose, you know, stand in that and imagine you've achieved it. What did you do now? Mm. Take action, take bold action, because you kind of need enough action that gets the velocity to get it out mm. of orbit. As I said before, the status quo is such a super magnet. <laughs> 
yeah. that you, you you kind of um you kind of have got to have enough oomph and you've got to care about it enough to get it outside of that kind of gravitational pull. So that would be my kind of advice in a way. Excellent. Thank you. I'm going to leave our listeners with those three calls to action. Mike, thank you so much for coming and sharing your thoughts with us. Where can our listeners get in touch with you or find out more about you and Achieve Breakthrough and what you do there? Yeah, that would be great. I mean, uh, my email is mike.straw at achievebreakthrough.com or just go to Google achievebreakthrough.com and then and then um, uh, please get in touch if, um, if you want. That'd be fantastic. Excellent. Okay, thanks, Mike. Thanks for that inspiring conversation. We hope you enjoyed this episode. And if so, please head over to iTunes and give us your opinion and rating. So it's bye from me for now and see you soon for the next episode of Let's Talk. <laughs>